Hello there, and welcome back to Scene by Scene with Josh and Dean. This is the podcast where we break down the movie American Splendor, scene by scene, talk about Harvey Picar, and discuss the joys and challenges of being professional cartoonists. I'm Josh Newfeld of joshcomics.com. And I'm Dean Haspiel of deanhaspiel.com. Hey, Dean. Hey, Josh. So today we are discussing scene 19 of American Splendor, which starts at minute 49, second 08, and ends at minute 52, second 19. It begins with the caption one week later and ends with Harvey digging his finger in his ear. So yes, in this begins the previous scene where Harvey and Joyce go on their first date and decide to get married. It transitions to an exterior of the VA hospital, utilizing the comic's trope of a caption that states one week later. And they've done this several times in the movie, which is cool. The song Escape, the Pina Colada song by Rupert Holmes, plays over the transition to a close-up of a car dashboard littered with empty boxes of White Castle hamburgers. The camera pans over to Toby Radloff, eating said hamburgers. Toby Radloff is portrayed by stand-up comedian Judah Friedlander, and the film cuts to Harvey Picar, portrayed by Paul Giamatti, noticing Toby, and he gives us a knowing smile. It was kind of like, I remember, you know, in watching it just recently, it was an affectionate kind of smile. Like, you know, he's hung out with Toby a lot, and he likes this guy, and I mean, maybe he's seen he's busted him before eating, you know, these White Castles in his car. You yeah, know? there was a little something mischievous about that grin that Harvey uh Well, maybe because he's going to try and steal a burger, mm-hmm. right? Oh. But at the same time, it was just like, it was, I felt affection, you mm-hmm. know? It was kind of adorable. Well, there's also a lightness to yeah. him that we have hardly seen at all before. Exactly. And, and he feels that he way toward this just guy. just got laid the night before. That's true. <laughs> maybe it's... It's the glow of the night before, right? It's carrying over. Harvey walks over to Toby's car and he greets him, only to be met with a defensive position. Toby says, no, you can't have any of my White Castle hamburgers, Harvey, so don't even ask. But he says it in that peculiar Toby Radloff way that he speaks, which I won't even attempt here. But I thought that Judah did a really good job of being able to mimic how Toby speaks. And we have already heard the real Toby speak earlier in the movie. So it turns out that Toby is taking a long drive to Toledo and doesn't want to stop for food. He wants to drive all the way through. Harvey relates as he has to drive to Delaware that night to get married, Uh, (laughs) which is like he just drops that on Toby, right? Toby didn't even know that Harvey had a new girlfriend, but he states it matter of factly. And that's part of the humor of the scene. You know, it's just like they're giving each other like these big pieces of news. You know, for Toby, it's, it's driving to see to go somewhere, you know, without stopping for a food break. And Harvey's about to get married after meeting a girl a week ago. Yeah, I love how they both drop these lines and yeah. then neither one of them picks it up right away. They yeah. just each have to then say what they're doing. That's right. That's how and they relate to each other. And then they finally start to kind of get And then they start it. to connect on what they've actually been saying to each other. Actually, so that brings up this next part where Harvey wonders what is compelling Toby to drive 260 miles to Toledo. And Toby tells me he's going to see the movie Revenge of the Nerds and it's not playing in Cleveland. Toby explains the premise of the movie and Harvey asks Toby if he identifies as a nerd, which he does. Toby further explains the nerd film and spontaneously chokes on a White Castle burger, which is hilarious. And but but it also felt 
unrehearsed. Like this feels like a real moment. Like totally. I don't think this was written into a script or anything. Right. I think literally Judah choked on a hamburger and it was a funny moment because he kept continuing his lines, you mm -hmm. know, afterwards. And it just kind of gives the movie that necessary like boost of realism, you know, yeah. which is what the premise is, you know, this is about a guy who writes about, you know, his right. real life. You don't see many other movies where characters choke while they're delivering a line and That's they right. just let it go. They and, let it go. Yeah. So like there's this real hiccup that happens, mm -hmm. you know, and it kind of recenters you in, in the movie in a way because things can, you know, as you start to do jump cuts and you're transitioning all the time, you start to realize there's a craft of the film being happening here, but then they have this real moment right. kind of recenters you. Anyway, Harvey confirms that the nerds win in the end and cheers Toby. And he also says that they both had a good month. Toby has his movie and Harvey's getting hitched. Toby wants Harvey to see the nerd movie with him and wonders what his new bride is like. You know, is she a nerd? Harvey waffles and thinks she may be a nerd because she's into herbal tea. <laughs> a little comedic moment, yeah. you know? And then the scene transitions out with the Pina Colada song playing again, and Harvey splits and walks away. So that's basically the scene we're going to discuss right now. It's also based on the story Double Feature Part 2, Revenge of the Nerds, written by Picar and drawn by artist Bill Knapp. It was published in American Splendor Number no. 10 in 1985. So was there anything else you picked up while watching the, the scene? Yeah, there's a lot here that was really enjoyable. This is probably one of my favorite scenes from the movie. Mm -hmm. It's so entertaining and, mm -hmm. and lighthearted in a lot of ways. Right. But I did want to interject at this point that one of our loyal listeners, yes. Jason R. Wright, is a native Clevelander. Mm -hmm. And he has a Google Doc which lists all the filming locations from the movie and his knowledge about them. And he mentioned that a lot of the filming locations are places that don't exist anymore or, you know, have already like transitioned from back when the movie was made. Did he work on the film? He didn't work on the film. He's just a fan of American Splendor and a local Clevelander. One would dare one say he's a nerd of the movie. He might say that. <laughs> so actually, I'm just going to read a little something quickly from him that introduces his doc. He says, I grew up in Cleveland and Lakewood and seeing places I frequented in a movie that wasn't A Christmas Story, which is a famous movie that takes mm -hmm. place in Cleveland, had an impact on me. I followed the story of the filming in the local papers, and I got an American Splendor compilation when I was 17 years old in 2003. So this is something he mentions. That much of the filming was done on the west side of Cleveland, despite Harvey living in Cleveland Heights, which is on the east side of Cleveland. Right. And for native Clevelanders, I think that that's a big distinction. I sure. think as native New Yorkers, we don't really appreciate that. But he says, apparently, early 2000s Lakewood looked more like 1970s Cleveland Heights than Cleveland Heights did while they were filming. Huh. So, so that was a choice. I mean, that was like an aesthetic choice to kind of, again, mimic a certain era uh, of time that Harvey was writing about. Right. They were trying to capture that late 70s, early 80s right. look of the architecture and just the general dilapidation, I guess. Right. So he does specifically mention this exterior shot of the VA center. It, he's not sure, but he thinks it might actually be Lakewood Hospital and not the VA building near University Circle on the east side. Mm. So that was just an interesting note, and I wanted to get that in there. And there are a couple of other points that we've talked about earlier in the film that he has more information about, so we'll try okay. to seed those in when they come up That's again. That's great. Thank you for that. So thank you, Jason. But yeah, about this scene, one of the things that I love was, 
and I, I feel like I really was struck by it more in this episode than when we saw the earlier mm-hmm. Toby thing, which is the difference between the Toby Radloff recurring character that was in American Splendor and then the real Toby Radloff slash Judah Friedlander right. rendition of him. Did you ever see any of those Toby scenes from MTV? Only from the movie. I never saw never them. On, that, that, not that I remember. Yeah. Well, we should talk about those, I guess, when they come up later. Sure. But I, so I had never actually seen Toby Radloff. And mm-hmm. when I saw this movie, I was sort of taken aback by the fact that he apparently is on the autistic spectrum or, you know, has some kind of condition that sort of lends his persona you know, the qualities that it does have that sort of robotic way of speaking and right. and kind of stilted manner. So you had not known that until the movie. No. So when I read about him in the comics, you know, and he is a recurring character, I always thought he was sort of like this uh, working class kind of nerdy Well, the way guy. they drew him with like polka dot shirts. And yeah. Like, like know, he, he was a nerdy. character. Yeah, a character. But I didn't get a sense that he that he was a little bit off, shall we say. Sure. And it wasn't until I saw his characterization in the film that I was like, oh, wow. Oh, okay. So then like the dots started to connect a little mm, bit more. The polka dots started to connect. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, I probably didn't know that either until I saw the movie. I remember reading certain American Splendor stories with Toby in it. Yeah. But again, the affectation of yes, it, the, the way affect, he spoke, exactly. you know, was new to me. Mm-hmm. So that added like a whole new dimension. Which if you think about it, like you could take that as just trying to amp up like certain comedic qualities to the film or something. But because they've shown you the real Toby. Exactly. And he does talk a certain way. Mm -hmm. It just kind of lends more credence to what Judah was doing. Yeah. You know, and the fact that, I mean, listen, I'm not an actor. I don't know what it's like to try to be like someone else. Uh, I certainly have had to draw someone else's stories and life stories and try to like empathize or walk in their shoes type of thing as an artist. But to do that is, it can be awful. <laughs> you can make a terrible mistake and do it wrong and be right. called out on it. Like right. people who do a French accent or a German accent or whatever, you know, they're always being called or Spanish or, you know, or like, even remember, English accent or Al Pacino and Scarface got, you know, railroaded for his portrayal of a Cuban. Right. Right. But yeah. So I, m- I remember thinking, wow, this is really well done because of that. And again, mm-hmm. it, it just le- it gets, gives credence to this character. Yeah. And like you say, I mean, it's really important that we have already seen the real Toby Radloff and are like, wow, right. this is, this is maybe a little bit of a, of a riff on it, but mm-hmm. not too much. Like mm-hmm. he really does talk like that. Mm-hmm. And the cool thing is we're hopefully going to have both Judah and Toby on the show to be able to talk about yep. their thoughts about mm-hmm. their character. Yep. There is a little bit of an interesting quality about the Harvey's whole interaction with Toby in mm-hmm. this scene where, you know, there's this lightness to him that we hadn't really seen before. He is actually looking forward to the next section of his life, mm-hmm. whereas before it's been so much about anger and loneliness and resentment and well the entire movie like up to this point like you said there's an upswing like literally the movie takes an upswing right right now you know between having met joyce deciding to get hitched hanging out with his buddy Mm -hmm. toby who is now identifying as a nerd and like i feel like what's great about that scene which is something that that's adapting from 1985 Mm-hmm. Or maybe 1984, depending on like when it actually happened in, in Harvey's real life, to then being filmed in what 2003 is when the movie the film the movie was filmed 2001 2001 right. came released out in 2003, in 2003 released yeah and like more than ever identity politics is being discussed right. and talked about 
it also goes to show how progressive Harvey was even back then. I mean, I wouldn't say he wasn't you mean in doing the original story. In doing the original story, mm-hmm. exactly, and talking about this stuff in right. a non-judgmental way for a guy who was judgmental right. about stuff, but right. he wasn't judgmental in this way. Right. You know, there's not a, an iota of judgment in this scene either. Mm-hmm. You know, except for well, there is, when they discuss the movie, maybe a little bit. Yeah, you know, like the merits of the movie, and that's right. actually done in a later scene right. when Harvey's finally seen the movie. Yeah, because he hasn't seen it in this movie. And then something you and I discovered in this scene is so Toby is going to drive 260 miles to go see this movie. So it's in, 260 miles round trip. So he's going to be driving two hours each way, basically, it. to see a movie. And of course, Harvey's like, why would you ever do that? And it's because he identifies with this movie. And da- But it it starts off, you feel like he hasn't seen the movie yet. He's excited to go see this movie. Sure. But then he explains the whole movie as if he has seen it. Yeah. And I wonder if that was like a little bit of a gaffe, you know, like a narrative oops kind of thing. like, Or maybe he read about it and knew everything that was happening in the movie. Yeah, I was, I've been trying to but figure it out. But we didn't have the out. internet back then. We didn't have right. spoilers like that. I mean, you know? we had like Entertainment Tonight. And, right. and they wouldn't have described you know. the entire movie the way he describes right. it. Yeah. Which, as I was reading the story again, I was like, God, this is, there's spoilers all over this, mm-hmm. you know, this scene. Right. The original story spoils the whole thing, but that's because in the story, Toby has already seen the movie right. and then Harvey is talking to him after he has come back from seeing it. Right. And he wants it explained to him because right. it's not a movie that Harvey would see. Right. And because Toby is identifying with so much he wants to know about it Mm -hmm. you know what is this movie about you know yeah it's a mystery because they definitely the filmmakers decided very clearly to have toby explain the entire plot of the film at this point but at the same time we know that he has not yet seen the movie so they're using it for narrative purposes to drive our story forward but it does strike us very strangely because like you said there was no way that toby would know know all all these details already yeah so i guess we'll just have to let it go (laughs) slap the (laughs) production on the wrist a little bit yeah you know but i love that idea that he's fueling up with like the junkiest i know worst kind of food and that there's this whole like tension between them two that harvey is clearly someone who bums food off his co-workers and is known like and that was it turns out that ultimately was his goal because what does he do as he exits the car he grabs the he grabs the whole box of fries that's right and the box of fries. Go, takes off with it that's right and that was sort of like his <laughs> ulterior goal the whole time and wasn't one of the jokes and i think even harvey himself discussed it, it was like his greatest concern on set was craft services Right. Right? Like, didn't he just love getting, you know, donuts yeah. or whatever just they were serving? Whenever the free food was available, he'd, right. just, he'd show up. <laughs> and I get that because I've been on oh, a bunch of sets. Oh, I've been there. I've been know? there. Yeah. So some other stuff that I uh, just wanted to comment on that, again, really takes you back in time is, so this was 1984. This was the summer of 1984. And I looked it up. The movie Revenge of the Nerds came out in July of 1984. Right. And it was showing in Toledo, Ohio, which is not as big of a town as Cleveland, Ohio. Mm. Yet that was normal. Like some movies would not open in Cleveland or would open later and other lesser cities would have the movies first it just seems strange like especially well, maybe that says age. something about the marketing of the film mm-hmm. you know maybe it wasn't considered like i mean now we know of it but maybe when it first came out it was like a b movie yeah you know or maybe we show up in art house theaters first or something like that and i'm trying to think what kind of movies were coming out in 84 that it would have to compete with like a star wars or something you know 
I mean, it was a 20th century Fox film, so it's a mainstream release. I, right. I assume it was a wide release. It's just, Who knows? I know back in those days that where movies were released and what theaters and what regions mm. of the country was pretty different. Now, mm. now that's like everything is in wide release unless right. it is an art film. Right. So that's just odd. And then in the movie, Harvey says, you know, why are you driving to Toledo? And he says, well, it's not at the Maplewood Mall. Mm. So I looked that up and there was a movie theater at the Mapletown Mall, sorry, which was a theater from the 1950s, hmm. which is now a church. Hmm. So it closed at some point, I think in the early 2000s, um, and is now a church. But in the original story, Harvey is sort of tweaking Toby on the fact that he drove all that way because the movie just opened in Cleveland, like a few days in later. In the comic book. In the comic. Yes, not in the movie, right. Right, and he mentions that it opened at the Randall Mall. So I looked that up, too. Jeez. And... Uh, <laughs> That was a theater in a mall that operated from 1976 to 1993. It was a little a triplex mm. theater, which closed down. And then later they opened a Magic Johnson movie theater, mm -hmm. like a big AMC Magic Johnson. Thing. So what theater did you see Revenge of the Nerds at? You know, it's funny you ask, because <laughs> weirdly enough, I did see Revenge of the Nerds, but not in its original release. I saw it like a year later in Oberlin when I was starting college there. And they had it at the local Oberlin theater, which was like a second run theater. Mm -hmm. You could see movies for like two bucks or something. Mm -hmm. And so that is where I did end up seeing. Revenge I'm sure if I saw it in a theater, which I believe I did, it probably was in the, at my local theater, Lowe's 83rd. At 83rd oh yeah, I saw Street. a number of movies. We saw a lot, there. we saw Purple, we saw Rain, Purple there. Rain there. That's right. And so I believe I would have seen that movie. Although to this day, I still don't identify as a nerd. Ah, so this is a topic that we brought up earlier, <laughs> if you recall, uh -huh. the question of whether we were nerds or not. Right. So but you... do you want to table that? Is there any more you want to talk about the scene? And then we'll go to some kind of questions. Sure. It was interesting, too, that they see it in little details, like when Harvey first comes up to the car and Toby says that he's driving, you know, off to Toledo, Harvey's first question is, is it a church function? Yeah. Which I guess kind of riffs off the previous scene where they were talking about Lent and lentils and, oh. you know, that it established that Toby was religious. And this is, I guess, further establishing sure. that he has this, you know, that the one thing that he does socially right like gets him out of the right either out of his house or out of his job as church function and i just love that judah basically decided to do this entire scene with food in his mouth yeah. like and that's of course what <laughs> led to the inadvertent choking yeah but then i'm thinking like you know they do multiple takes oh. of every scene yeah so he had to eat a lot so th there's something called like a spit bucket or something right sure do you want to I've talk heard about of it. That? I have not witnessed it. I just want to imagine, like, where was the spit bucket? You know. Oh, he could just spit out the car. It's a low budget film, right? <laughs> just so spit the, out the window. The camera just panned a little farther to the right. You'd see like a pile of half digested. <laughs> yes, yes. White where do you castle. think all those empty boxes came from? <laughs> yeah. Well, so I was thinking, even the packaging, they probably they had to go somewhere to get that like vintage packaging for. Oh, White I castle. would hazard that that has not changed since probably not in inception of White yeah, Castle. Maybe not. Oh, White Castle was in Inception. No, no, Josh. Oh, That's I'm not even sorry. funny for a second. <laughs> Although, is there still a White Castle in Brooklyn? I remember driving there past is. one on there's 4th Avenue. Least, yeah, there's one on Atlantic Avenue, I believe. There's a number of them. Right. Yeah. So they still exist. Have you ever been a White Castle uh, um, consumer? You know, uh, yes, when I was younger. And then when I got older, I might have thrown up from a White Castle. But mm, often you eat food end. like that when you're drunk. Uh huh. So it could have been the alcohol. And then when I finally lifted up the bun... And realized there was like four holes in the little patty. You've seen that, right? 
No. So because they steam their burgers, that's like the they steam their thing, burgers. Right? Their sliders, right? But they, I remember seeing literally like four punctured holes in it, and I think what they do is collect those holes of meat to then mash them up to make other burgers. So it was oh. a, it was like a mischievous way to like deliver a full round patty, but was right. missing parts of it, so they could create another half a burger out of it. Where's the beef? It's not funny either, Josh. <laughs> It's just not funny. <laughs> it's a callback, like uh, in the yeah, 80s, that's right. hamburgers. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, the whole White Castle thing, I I didn't grow up eating that. I, out West Coast where I live, they didn't have them. Okay. And then I wasn't really allowed to eat junk well, food well, I was gonna for say, a lot of my youth. One of my questions to you is because we're talking about junk food and famous yeah. junk food. What was your favorite junk food if you had to pick one? And let's just right now pick a burger. And we have several companies that create junk food burgers. What was your favorite yeah. junk food burger? I'll get to that, but just okay. to finish the White Castle thing, when yeah. I did find out about White Castle, and, and not because it, of the and it movie, it wasn't this movie. I believe it was some point earlier in my sure. life. I was intrigued. Oh, you oh. know, <laughs> <laughs> and they called them sliders, which is also very mysterious to me because I didn't really know what that right. was. It's right. like, how is that different? I guess a slider is just a smaller version of a burger, like mm-hmm. you can slide it down your throat or something. Mm-hmm. It's a nice image. But then when I discovered that they steam their burgers and that they, yeah, that they're just very small and, and very soggy, I was not a fan. So, yeah, I might have had White Castle once or maybe twice. And and the second time was like 10 years after the first time. It was just to confirm that I did not like them. So I'm sorry. I guess we're not going to be getting White Castle sponsorship. No, but I mean, I didn't mind them. I just thought it was a peculiar little burger. I also remember there was a lot of steamed onions that came with it. Yes, and I do but like they were onions. Kind of tasteless. It, like you didn't really have the onion goodness. It was almost a diuretic. I remember, like I, I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't hold on to a White Castle burger that long. <laughs> so, it, you know, it was we're kind of like a diet. We're not getting White Castle uh, sponsorship now. <laughs> it's a diet burger. Yeah. But, well, okay. So, what was your favorite fast food burger then? I think I went through various phases. Like my first one was McDonald's because like that's what kids like. McDonald's, McDonald's. Big Mac. The Big Mac. Okay. McDonald's. And then like after I sort of went all the way through all of those, then I kind of got into the, the Whopper at, yeah. at Burger King. Right. And then I got into Wendy's huh. burgers because they, I think I, I know this is ridiculous, but they, Wendy's burgers actually taste more like actual food. Like food. Yeah. Okay. And I think I was starting to actually appreciate and want real food. Sure. So... I feel you on that. I think that they're definitely like Arby's. I think Wendy's probably make a better food burger. Mm. But there was something about the combination of a Whopper that yeah. maybe it's the raw onion with the ketchup and, mm-hmm. and I'm not a no, fan of mayonnaise. I definitely had that period of, of liking the Whoppers. Right. So yeah. I think I when I lean towards what kind of fast food burger do I want, it always is a Whopper. And and I've had a Whopper like two weeks ago and it wasn't that great. Mm, so, sorry. And I know that they're trying to do more artisanal type stuff at McDonald's and Burger King and, yeah. you know, the, an updated version with the sign of the times type kind of food. But um, are you aware of, obviously, you know, Nathan's hot dogs, yes. right? So have you ever looked at the menu at Nathan's in Coney Island, which I believe is yeah, a more expansive sure, menu? Sure, I like that, Nathan's. So... I've been going there for years, right? And and you get hot dogs and stuff. Did you ever notice the one thing on the menu? Chow mein on a bun? No. Chow mein on a bun. Oh. 
like now all, I'm curious. What do they? That's Chinese food. Well, it's like American Chinese food. Well, right? and then, then it's what's like chow Chinese mein? food that not actual Chinese people eat. The only thing I remember hearing chow mein is I think my grandmother ordered chow mein once, and I thought it came out, and I feel like it was what are the the fried noodles that come with soup? I feel like that was on top of some kind of bland white like spaghetti or noodle dish or something uh-huh. with like fried noodles and then i was thinking well what's what is chow mein and then why would you put that on a bun and who's that for i mean i guess in a way nathan's trying to be all inclusive and offer all kinds of food but i don't <laughs> i just can't imagine it did you look up chow mein i looked up chow mein what it's is it? chinese stir-fried noodles oh it is stir-fried noodles but what's the flavor is it just a gelatinous brown bland gravy or something uh, you got it yeah it's particularly popular in india nepal the uk and the really? united states all right so i it's something i'm looking forward to is what you're saying yeah <laughs> as i get older <laughs> on a bun less teeth yeah exactly <laughs> right excellent so all right now that i will, was one I will have ahead. to try that next time i'm at coney island we will do have to do that together and then report back it's a date okay any other notes or thoughts on the scene yeah, so I looked up the driving distances. So Harvey is uh, <laughs> going to Delaware. Right. We already talked about Toby going to Toledo, which was a t- at least a two-hour drive each way. So I'm just trying to figure this out. Like in the last episode, Harvey and Joyce decide to get married the day that they meet. Right. But they don't actually get married the next day. They no. hold it off. So I get, we're assuming that when we see Harvey in this scene, it's maybe it's a week a later. It, right. It's a week later. How do you know that? Because there was a caption. And Thank I you. Said that at the beginning of this podcast, Josh. <laughs> I can edit all that out, right? <laughs> no. Um, oh. So, okay. So Joyce has already gone back to Delaware. They're making their plans. She's going to move to Cleveland with yes. Harvey. So he, a week later now, is getting ready to drive to Delaware, mm-hmm. which is about a seven-hour drive from Cleveland. And we already knew from the Alice Quinn episode that he doesn't have a car himself. So we're assuming then he's renting a moving van. Sure. And the reason why I was also led to that is because that story, The Marriage Album, which we talked about the last couple of episodes, has a little sequence at the end where Harvey is in Delaware with a moving van helping Joyce move her stuff. Right. So I think this was a, still a little bit of a shout but are you out saying to that. He, I mean, he can drive. He, has he a can drive, license. but he doesn't have So now I'm wondering if part of Toby's defensiveness, you know, the being defensive about the White Castles, is that he also doesn't want Harvey to Harvey borrow, borrow his car. Harvey yeah, probably. Because maybe sometimes Harvey shows up and he's yeah. like, hey, can I borrow your car? And Harvey's definitely one of those guys who would borrow people's cars oh, yeah. and then like bring it back like much worse off than... <laughs> no, <laughs> come on. So yeah, he's going to... But he says he's going to Delaware tonight. And it's already, I'm assuming that it's already like late afternoon, like quitting right. time. Right. So they're both doing some they're both like serious late night driving. Well, it's the end of the, the day of their job, I yeah. think, right? So Harvey's about to embark on a six or seven hour drive yeah. starting at like six o'clock at night. That's an intense driving yes. night. Yes. What's the longest you ever had to drive in a day, Josh? I've probably driven 10, 11 hours. Really? Yeah. Like on some cross-country trips. I think I've done six, maybe. Yeah, it's hard. I can't. It, it just starts to all blend together. Yeah, it's horrible. Especially if we get on a road that looks the same for yes. a long time. Yes. Or one time I was driving, when my wife and I were driving west to mm-hmm. California from Chicago, we were on Route 80, mm-hmm. and it literally is driving into the setting sun. Wow. So you're just driving for hours with the sun right in your eyes. Blinding you. Yeah. 
flatlands. <laughs> All across the flatlands of America. Wow. And there's nothing you can do about right. it. Right. And then for like five seconds in a movie, that's awesome. Right. But for four (laughs) hours, well, I guess the sun doesn't take that long to set. That's true. Um, So, yeah, the one other thing that I enjoyed was that very end when Harvey steals the fries. Yeah. And he seems very, you know, sly, like he's gotten away and he's already starting to walk away eating them. And then Toby's like, you know, hey, Harvey, and he's rolling down his window and and like we're all getting ready for him to be busted and for him to bring the fries back. But instead, it's this very adorable scene where toby's asking him if he would go see the movie with him when he comes back and then it kind of opened up this whole other set of questions to me like do they do social things like like that do they go see movies together right because harvey the way he reacts he doesn't act like surprised that he would be asked to go do that well we i mean i feel like in the comics and we've said this before it's possible i could see the real harvey p car sitting on a stoop hanging out with people talking about stuff Mm -hmm. but in the movie he doesn't right you never see him and again it's a two-hour movie not gonna unless there's a reason to show him on a stoop although you do see him on a bus stop with crumb or Mm -hmm. you know but these are very specific one-on-one kind of encounters versus just hanging out with the gang as it were like i said i thought he conveyed that in his comics but not necessarily in the movie but that's fine but i could believe that he and toby would they go out to dinner and then a movie together? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe just meet at the movie theater. Which is why it's also very important and special maybe to Toby. Yeah. For Toby to show Harvey this movie. Right. Because he finally can identify with something in Hollywood, you mm-hmm. know, or in the movies. Yeah. Which is beautiful. Yeah. And it leads us back to the question, did you identify with the movie, Revenge of the Nerds? Because in any way. Because of being a nerd, potentially. Do you feel you're a nerd? Do you feel like you identified with any characters in the movie? I haven't seen it in a long time. Yeah, me neither. So I didn't really feel like I identified with any of them, but yeah. I had empathy for it. Well, I, you know? I, I don't identify assuming, with jocks, that's oh, for sure. Okay. I was know? assuming you would identify at least with the bullies, you know, since yes, that's your, the, the your My major. brand of bullying, yeah. yes, which has not yet been conveyed in cinema. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's just, it's too special to be able to you capture. You have to experience on that one-on-one. Exactly. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering about this question. I mean, I definitely fit the category, especially back when this movie came out, uh, back when Revenge of the Nerds came mm-hmm. out. I mean, let's see, I, I had collected stamps. Mm. I collected comic books. So collecting is part of the being a nerd. Like what identifies a nerd? I think in the I comic Dungeons book, and Dragons. That, yeah. Role playing games. Yeah. I liked computers. One of the things that identifies what a nerd is, is someone who's very passionate about the thing they love. But it has to also be something that's a little bit unusual or looked down on by everybody else. But I think sports else, fans right? are nerds. I yes, mean, see, sports fans would never admit that. But they but, are. But you're probably right. They're totally nerds. Well, it depends on what kind of fans. There's like the Yankee fans that just go and holler at everybody and like beat up people in the What about the ones the who dress up at like the, you know, in the colors of the team and, you know, with the big finger and all that stuff? And... I think there are sports nerds and then there are sports fans. And I think there are distinctions between them. And I guess the distinction would be that they're more accepted. Yeah. Well, right? I think by society. Sport, when I say sports nerds, I think of people, again, like myself who like keep track of stats at home sure. and read books by uh bill james and okay. people like that who've written whole books about like new oh. ways to interpret baseball stats and, and isn't there something called a you have a, a fake team a fantasy oh right like fantasy baseball okay. yeah so that, sure. i feel like those people are more in the sport nerds whereas sport fans tend to be the 
bro types sure. that go to the game to you know make a spectacle of themselves. they're more about maybe even equally about the beer as they are about the oh, baseball yeah totally yeah. Okay. yeah sure so but but i agree that there are definitely sports nerds out there right but i think i mean i fit all the categories of a nerd but at the same time i also played sport and as was I. had a social life yep. and tried to go to parties and things like that yep. you know not maybe as much as someone who wasn't also playing Dungeons and Dragons and drawing comics and or introverted. Comics. I feel like introverts are considered nerds yeah, sometimes. Yeah, and I feel like I'm I'm sort of an extroverted introvert. Like mm-hmm. my my nature is to be an introvert, but I have the ability to be mm-hmm. social and to fake it, sure. you know. But yeah, these nerds like Toby actually specifically describes nerds in the comic. Maybe we should read yeah. the way that he describes them. Nerds are smart, but they look and act differently than other people, so they get picked on all the time. Like nerds might wear polyester button-down shirts and flood pants where their ankles and their socks are showing. They have short hair, and a lot of them wear glasses. They carry pockets full of pens or a calculator. But that's only some. Not all of them do. You described half of my studio mates, (laughs) actually, in the comic studio. But that's the thing, right? Nowadays... Being a nerd is a badge of honor. Like everybody wants to be right. a nerd, and it's like nerds are—it's not even an insult anymore to nope. call someone a nerd, and no, it hasn't it, been for a while. It's a marketing tool now, mm-hmm. you exactly. know, more than ever. Yeah. Just one last note about the music. So yes. up till this point in this movie, it's all been jazz right. or downbeat background music. Right. And now we have this cheesy ultimate cheesy late 70s song escape the pina colada song which was also used in guardians of the galaxy and yes it's very popular yes it was the last number one hit of the 1970s Ooh. just so you know but it's obviously used ironically in the sense that this is a song that we assume harvey Picard would never listen to <laughs> yeah. in a million years but it's toby seen in a way Right. So I feel like it makes sense, you know, aesthetically to be played while they're having this parlay about nerds, you know, and nerd culture and this kind of peppy, positive song. And it's about positivity. It is. The scene is definitely about positivity. But have you ever thought about the lyrics of the actual song? Like, do you know what the story of the song is? No. So the story of the song is that it's a guy who's in a relationship that's getting stale. Like he and his wife are just kind of bored of each other. So one night he's reading the personal ads, just, you know, whatever. And there's a poem by somebody saying, do you like long walks on the beach and pina coladas? Mm -hmm. And, you know, if so let's hook up right so he says wow you know like i'm intrigued by this and he decides that he's going to actually answer the personal ad and he goes and he meets this woman secretly behind his wife's back and guess who the woman is his wife it's his wife oh no yeah how does it end then they're like oh wow i guess we you know we just haven't been appreciating each other and like the let's reinvent ourselves in our marriage and so it's almost like like recapturing the love that they used to have right that's great i mean i love that idea a lot and i'm wondering how does that relate to toby and harvey it's almost like i I know in a way it's about like seeing each other in a different way so you think this song is about them and this scene rather than it being about harvey and joyce it's not about about... harvey and joyce because they're just they just they've just met yeah they've just met basically so in a way, if you needed to apply it to the scene and to Harvey and Toby, I could see it working as a metaphor for when you just know someone for what they do. Like Harvey is a VA clerk who writes comics about his life. Toby also works there uh, and likes jelly beans. 
and is maybe religious, but suddenly is found a new way to identify himself in a positive right. way. It's a this powerful re- moment. It's a powerful moment. So maybe that's what it's a little bit about is being able to see each other again, but differently, you know? So through rose colored glasses, I don't know. I guess my question is like, what is the pose of the movie in relation to that? Because I feel like Harvey is still a little bit condescending towards Toby, at least the way the scene is acted. Like Harvey's like, so that's you identify with these nerds. That's his nature. Know? So I, I think if you get to know someone, like for me, for instance, like you know that I'm always going to throw a barb or kind of lightly diss. But if you know me well enough, you know that comes from love. Like I don't diss people I don't like. <laughs> Wait. I have to rethink now everything you've ever said to me for the past <laughs> few decades. <laughs> Reassess. And, and because you're such a nerd, you've written them all down. <laughs> and you've given them, I, and you've scored and them. I've, I've scored them and rated them. And <laughs> That's right. You'll have to give a new set of ratings. That's right. No, I agree. That's probably, if you, if you wanted to like, or it just was a cool song to play from the 70s. Well, and also if you do think about since they bring it back again at the end of the scene and it transitions into the next scene which we'll be talking about next episode, right. then it does gain new context yes. in the next scene. So maybe we'll bring it up again okay. next episode. Yep. yep. Okay, I have a couple of questions. Yes. And so because he does bring up the the fact that I met this girl a week ago and we're getting hitched, right? Right. And he's telling one of his good friends this. Do you remember telling your friends when you decided to get married to Sari? Uh, and then I have a second question I want to follow up with. I don't remember friend-wise. I remember sending an email out to a bunch of people, which is kind of lame. Who did you call and tell first? I'm sure I called my parents first. Okay. And how long were you dating before you decided to get hitched well that's what makes the story kind of funny is that sari and i had already been together for 10 years before right. we decided to get married and she also proposed to me that was gonna be my follow-up question yeah. who asked who yeah yeah she proposed to me i don't know if i ever would have done it you know like, were you nervous you just didn't know how I, to... I because of my particular background and biography and my parents splitting up when i was really young mm-hmm. and seeing them both going through multiple relationships Mm -hmm. that didn't work out, I was really down on the entire concept of marriage. Mm -hmm. So marriage to me just seemed like this kind of irrelevant Mm. ritual, you know, that just didn't seem to apply anymore. And what mattered was my relationship with Sari. So Mm -hmm. I was cool with not being married and just being together. And I thought Sari was on the same page, but little did I know she had this whole nefarious plan to trap me in you know, <laughs> to capture me she once and for all but wait so were you shocked and surprised was yeah, it a total she, surprise so we went on a, a little vacation to jamaica hmm. and it was like one of those package deals to get like a really cheap flight and cheap hotel right for like four days to jamaica and little, I didn't know, but she had bought like a cute little like novelty ring to give me as an oh. engagement ring. Oh. And she had told like her best friend that she was going to do this. And then she sprung it on me one night while we were there. Did she the do the grill. traditional get on your knee type thing or how did, how was, how was it? I think she did. Wow. Yeah. And she opened the you know, gave me this ring box and I opened it up and there was a little turtle ring inside. 
Do you she still said have it? I almost fell off. Like I was sitting on like a little wall barricade near the ocean, and she said I was so shocked that I almost fell backwards <laughs> to my death. Off the thing. She almost killed you. <laughs> but then I said yes right away. I didn't even. That's great. Didn't, I mean, I was so stunned right. and gratified that someone actually yep. wanted to be with me. That how could I say no? Yep. Yep. And it turned out that it was a really meaningful thing. And getting married, you were there. Yep. You were one of the That was one of my favorite weddings. The thing I remember the most was that you... How many people were there? Like 30, 40 people, let's yeah, say? Yeah, small. And my job was to take the rings mm -hmm. and to pass them to each person. And each person had to bless the ring with their thoughts or feelings or whatever. Pass on to the next person, next person. It was like a domino effect, right? <laughs> Everybody and then, was falling over by the end. <laughs> and I... It was my job to make sure it went past person to person. They did their thing. And at the end, I retrieved them and I handed them back to you. Yeah. And so you were the last person to have our right. rings before we before gave they... them to each other. Yeah. And I thought, what moment. a great idea, you know? Yeah. And well, thank you very much for beautiful. doing that. No, thank you for letting me do that. And I guess my final question to you for this episode is, did you draw Toby in any of the American Splendor comics? I did, yes. I drew a story called Hollywood Reporter. It was a three-page piece, and it was about Toby's side career after like his fame that mm -hmm. he achieved because of being in Harvey's comics, but then also appearing on MTV, which again, we'll get to later. He started appearing in like low-budget horror and slasher movies that were filmed by friends of his in Cleveland. Oh, cool. And so it's this mock interview between like an Entertainment Tonight type reporter and Toby just sort of talking about his film career. Right. So I got to draw him and all. It was, Harvey didn't even appear in, the, in that story at all. So it was mm. kind of a fun thing cool. to do. Well, hopefully we'll get to talk to Toby and Judah. Yeah. Did uh, you ever draw Toby in I anything? don't think I ever have. Not even in the Quitter or like in any other side stories? I don't think so because the, the funny thing about the Quitter is that for all intents and purposes, it's Harvey's origin story. Right. So toward the very end of the graphic novel is when he decides he's going to start this American Spender comic. Right. And I think you turn the page and, you know, the entire series has basically been published up until the quitter now. Right. So right. I don't think I drew Toby in the quitter, but I'd have it's to... It's like before he was born, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Because he is like at least 15 years younger than Harvey, I would say. Seems so. Yeah. You know. Well... All right, so that about wraps up this episode. Remember, you can visit us at scenebyscenepodcast.com and scenebyscene on Facebook, where you can subscribe, download past episodes, read up on the show, check out our work, including all things Harvey Picar, join the discussion. I'm sure that we'll have some samples of some of the comics that we talked about this episode. Mm -hmm. There's also the store where you can buy. What are some of the things that you can buy in our store? You can buy some of our memoir comics. I do a comic called The Red Hook. You have some original American Splendor pages for sale. Right. There's some t-shirts that you've designed yep. that right. people can buy. And all, obviously all of the American Splendor anthologies. Mm -hmm. So check it out. And until next time, when we'll be discussing episode number 20. 20. This is Josh Newfeld And Dean Haspiel. With Scene by Scene with Josh and Dean.